What's going on, guys? This is Rob Doster here. I want to let you know about our sponsors, Anchor by Spotify. If you haven't heard about them yet, it is the easiest way for you to make a podcast. I know because all of our 28 podcasts on the field of 68 and the field of 12 use Anchor by Spotify. It has the tools that will allow you to record and edit your pods right from your phone or your computer. You can distribute anywhere. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, all those places that allow you to listen to podcasts for absolutely free. Anchor sends those pods directly to the feeds. And here's the best part about it. Anchor is totally free. So make sure you download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm if you want to get started on your own podcast. And we are live. It is the first Field of 68 post-game show that we are doing here on the Field of 68 Media Network. My name is Rob Doster. The gentleman that you see there with me is the one and only Deshaun Butler, West, uh, former West Virginia All-American, longtime overseas pro, also played in the NBA, a lot better than me. Uh, this is, since it's the post-game show, it's also the first edition of the Craft Beer Cast. So uh, what do you have for your little uh, your, your little post-game beverage there? I got a little black. Uh, I got some a Cape May Dippa, a nice little coastal evacuation. Nice little double IPA. What you got going over there, Deshaun? I got a uh, Paul Inner, uh, Oktoberfest uh, Maison. So I'm, I'm a little, I'm good. I'm going with, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm rocking with my uh, German and Belgians for the moment right now. There you go. There you go. All right. So we have a lot to talk about tonight. Michigan wanted a blowout. Um, yeah. North Carolina got back to the winning ways. Uh, Kansas looked like they were going to lose in a blowout and came back and ended up uh, losing that game. Duke also lost. So, all told, we had Kentucky, Kansas, and Duke lose in the same night. Um, but I think that the first game that we should talk about is the the team that I just mentioned, the Kentucky Wildcats. We're watching the very finishing touches of it right now. That's why you see keep looking over there to that side of the screen. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> 85, to, uh, 85 to 65 now, that's a 20-point win. Uh, my biggest takeaway, Deshaun, was that this was a perfect example of what happens when you have a five-out offense like Alabama – uh, going up against a team that's going to play Jacob Toppin and Isaiah Jackson and Olivier Saar at the exact same time in Kentucky. It was like modern basketball against throwback basketball, and Kentucky does not have the bodies to be able to play the throwback style that they want to play. Um, I can agree with you uh, a little bit in that sense uh, with when it comes to like modern basketball versus throwback basketball. Alabama, they they run – they push the ball as fast as they can. If they can get a basket early, they get it. If not, this is a team that just shoots threes and layups. They're not doing in between basketball. They do a good job of like sticking to their game plan. So when you play against a team like Kentucky, where you have these bigs that they have, they're not the most versatile bigs. So it's like it plays into Alabama's hands because these guys like Olivier Saar and and Jackson, who's Jackson's not a bad defender and he's very active, but at the same time. Be, that doesn't mean that you're great on the perimeter as far as sliding your feet with guards or guard-like players. You know, Alabama has a, a ton of guys that can play numerous spots. It makes them a very, like, very dangerous team. You know, Bruner is a big, but at the same time, he's more like he could play some wing from time to time too. He's quick enough to. I don't, you know, I wouldn't go along and put a, call him a three, but he's quick enough on his feet too, and he stretches the floor as well, like the like the rest of the guys, like Petty and the rest of their team. So. It makes it difficult when you don't have those matchups, regardless of it's small ball or you got these guys playing uh, playing spaced out offense. It's just a matter of if you can defend it or not. And obviously, mm-hmm. obviously, uh, Kentucky can't <laughs> they couldn't at all. They didn't show they could tonight. 
Yeah, and, and it's not just on the defensive end of the floor. Well, that was probably the biggest issue that they had tonight. Yeah. Um, on the offensive end, like, there's just no – there's no space in the paint, right? And that – when when you have guys like, like a Carl Anthony Towns, like, that doesn't – it doesn't really matter how much space you have because he's just so much better than everybody else. When you have someone like DeMarcus Cousins, they can overpower people even if you have a team that doesn't really shoot all that well from three. You you know a little bit about that 2010 Kentucky team, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Great just team. A, just a little yeah. bit about it. Well, Probably, probably uh, one of the best teams ever to play in college. But go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, I mean, Olivier Saar, like, he ain't Carl Anthony Towns and he ain't no. DeMarcus Cousins. and. No, and when, when you are not able to completely dominate those matchups in the post, if you want to play big and you cannot dominate every matchup against every team, against every opponent in the paint, you're not going to be that successful playing big. The problem is, you know, entering this game, Kentucky was shooting 46% from three in the SEC, uh, which was leading the conference in three-point shooting. Okay. And they shot four for 18 tonight. And I think that this was them just kind of regressing to the mean a little bit. And – uh, when they're not going to make shots and they're not going to be able to score in the paint, like there's just where, – where are you getting your offense from? Yeah, that's true. Um, I like to like – I saw the, when I was watching this game, it kind of felt – obviously their offense wasn't – as far as their shooting at least, wasn't uh, too tailored tonight. It wasn't It wasn't pretty at all. I felt like they, they didn't look focused. Like I saw activeness, but I saw like activeness without a purpose, like – Guys are over dribbling. Guys, it, it and I, I don't know. It just didn't look as smooth as it did when I watched them play Florida. And I guess you know, jump shots help. You make making shots definitely does help. Gives you a little bit more confidence. But I didn't, I didn't see any any lock in moments in the game where they could like stop what what Alabama was doing and also impose like they. They didn't impose any type of uh, any type of will in the game. They didn't stop Alabama from doing anything. They didn't do anything well themselves offensively, let alone just the shooting. So, I you turn the ball over. They had 15 turnovers with 14 minutes left in the second half. Like you're not winning games when they they revert back to the old things that they were doing. And then you're not your energy is okay, but your lack of focus it, it just showed tonight. Like it was it wasn't a good showing for them. Yeah, um, Jack just hopped in the chat, and he's, he asked us to talk about Michigan. And we'll get there. Before we do, though, I just want to really quick uh, talk a little bit about Alabama and kind of where they rate for you, Deshaun. Like, how do you how do you view this team? Are they legit? You know, they've, they've kind of steamrolled everybody in the SEC that is really worth paying attention to at this point. Um, so where do, you, where do you stand on them? What kind of run can they make in the tournament? Like, is this – like, are they legit? Are they a Final Four contender? Are they a Final Four threat? What do you think? And if they're healthy, after we just saw two guys like kind of get banged up today, um, if they're healthy, they're definitely excuse me, they're definitely the beer got me. Exactly, every time happens every time. Uh, no, but if Alabama is a healthy team, they can definitely go. They have the potential to go to a Final Four. I'm, like they're a very good team. Their style of play is something you can't necessarily prep for too well. Like, it's not like you can just, you know, we would have teams we would play against uh, when I played for Coach Beeline, and it was just you can't prep for Beeline's offense in a quick turnaround game. Like, it's just so much stuff. So, like, we the, our team would have the advantage. Um, you can't prep for a team like this in a quick turnaround. Like, you, 
you can just you can run as fast as you can, try to emulate it as best you can, but it's not the same as actually having those five guys out there that can space the court and and knock down shots and the pace that they play at and just how they use ball screens. They they do a really good job, honestly. I'm watching this team. I can see them making a big run just because of the versatility that they have. And I mean, they're very well coached. You can say they don't take shots they don't need. They got two two or three dudes sometimes that can make really big plays. Like Shackleford was – he had a couple a couple like dope finishes or left hand and just strong finishes and made some really big plays as they were like stretching the lead. That You know, they, they got some guys that can do some, some very special things for their team. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, I do think that um, – they're not quite at the same level in my mind as the, the very best teams in the country. No, 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 no. But there's I, only but there's only like three of them. So somebody's gonna sneak into those spots like sooner or yeah. later. <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll we'll talk about Michigan in a second, but just the the, yeah. the last point that I want to make is I think that they're as dangerous as anyone in college basketball mm-hmm. because of what they can be when their offense gets rolling, when when their threes are going down and they're getting up and down the floor and, and they're they're energized defensively and Herb Jones is making plays and John Petty is is at his very best. And we're seeing Jaden Shackelford um, be that kind of like, uh, you know, shot fake, one dribble, um, draw the defender and kick, kick it out to someone. And we're, we're seeing Josh Primo make shots. When Jordan Bruner is actually on the floor and healthy and playing well, like they're they're dangerous. Um, they're, they're really, really dangerous. And when you – when you live, uh, you know, the saying is when you live by the three, you die by the three. Um, so I think it's a little bit of a, you know, it's a high risk, high reward, um, kind of embracing the variant style of play. But when you can guard the way that they can guard, like they can stop, they're just, they're, they're a very, very good team. Um, and, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll take the L on them right here. This is me taking the L on Alabama. I did not think that they were going to be um, as good as they were this season, and, and they are. So shout out to them. Shout out to Nate Oates. It's uh, a, that's a really good basketball team. All right. You can take your small L, but I will give you props about Jerm, about Bruner. You were right about him. That was like, – he's a right, talented right. – he can play. Like, I was very impressed. Sucks that he had his uh, – I don't know if it was an ankle or, or a knee or whatever the case may be. With his knee. Leg, I mean, we yeah. talked about it last week, man. The guy's got old knees. Old knees, old yes, exactly. Knees. So, old knees. But you were definitely right. – buddy, I will give you your credit. You were definitely right about that. <laughs> it's the first time all year you give him that credit. That's pretty I, I can't have you out here. Board. Can't have you out here beat – can't have you out here beating yourself up. Can't have you it's not good for the show. All right, all right, Michigan. Oh uh, man, that was that was that was impressive. That that was impressive. You don't kick Wisconsin's ass <laughs> the way that they kicked Wisconsin's ass. Like that does not happen. That does I, not happen. Like no, the, it doesn't. Brendan Quinn, Brendan Quinn, the the beat writer for uh, for Michigan and Michigan State from the Athletic, tweeted out a stat that basically was like the last time that this happened. Um, that 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 Wisconsin lost by 20 plus was like 2018, which was 92 games ago. And it's happened like four times in the last decade. Like they just, they don't get run out of the gym because they're so solid defensively and they play at such a slow pace that it's very hard to, um, possession wise, you're not going to match them. Yeah. It's like, it's not going to happen. So, I mean, this, this, they were up, it was 26 to 23 with five minutes left in the first half, (laughs) 12 minutes left in the second half. Yeah, it was sixty-two to twenty-six. That is a thirty-six to three run, Deshaun. We talked about the worst ass kickings that we ever took in yeah. basketball mm-hmm. in the last podcast, and I think this this, this is going to be up there for like Brad Davis and Michael Potter and those guys. So, man, what a performance I, from Michigan! Put it into context for me. 
honestly, I, I I watched the game and then I just started like looking at the stat line immediately just to see like what was what. And it just, at the end of the day, Wisconsin decided to get into a shooting contest with Michigan and it didn't work out well for them. <laughs> they went to a three-point shooting contest. They didn't do the things they were doing early in the sec- in the first half. I mean, they, they, I felt like, I remember tweeting before, the, like, as the game was starting, I was like, Dimitri Trice is coming off ball screens and, like, he's a good player, like, off the ball screen, getting a mid-range, knocking shots down, being able to, like, stay within the mid-range, get to the basket. And I was like, this is going to be a good game. Damn. <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> it was not the case. And, I mean, Wagner and just the gang, just they, they did what they wanted to do. I was super impressed with Liver today like he he stepped up early and it kind of got them out of the way uh as a group but i was i was actually impressed with him today yeah i mean isaiah livers really got it going yeah he hasn't had the the best uh start to the season ever like he was a guy that um i legitimately thought had a chance to to kind of be like a top uh 45 or 50 pick in the draft and he just has not um played as great this year as he did last season but but i mean he was great today uh, Hunter Dickinson did not even play all that well. He finished with 12, exactly. 12 six, three blocks and a steal, but like he wasn't, Chill. he wasn't dominant. Like you, you wouldn't have no. thought that he was the best player on the floor. Um, so I, I think it just kind of speaks a little bit to, to the balance that they have. And, and you know, while we're here, we also got to give a shout out to, uh, to, to Mike Smith, man, the, the Columbia transfer. He, right. It was impressive. It was impressive, man. But the question that we had about this team in a preseason and the reason why I was a little bit hesitant to dub them like a top uh, top four or five team in the country was that we had, hadn't seen their guards get tested yet, right? We hadn't seen yeah. their backcourt get tested yet. And, I, I mean, I, I don't know if um, Demetri Trice and Brad Davidson are necessarily the best backcourt in the country, yeah. but if you're going to put up 16-6 and six on them in a game where you're up by 40, literally 40-4-0, 4 t points in the second half like i cannot question you anymore <laughs> nah yeah, that's, hey they're 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 there man good for them that's very good for them i was uh once again i was a, i was in doubt because i was just i wanted to see them play against competition i mean and what can you say about blowing out the number nine team in the country <laughs> like bad like and the energy in the gym with just the players like it was it was great to see like the staff like the way they the way they did, the way they played tonight, it was it was good overall. Plays everything. They did they did a great job. So I'm I can't wait to watch Michigan play again. Yeah, that was actually a really good point. That uh, I was listening to to Ant Wright and Stu Douglas, who does the Go Blue with Stu uh, podcast on our network. Um, I, w- I was listening to the their recording. They went live on locker room after the game, and and, and Ant made a really really good point that I thought was something that we should talk about a little bit. What is uh, that? It was. It was kind of like, you know how when you would go play AAU or when you would go play in like some high school tournaments where, where you weren't playing in your home gym, yeah. uh, the teams that, that, that always were the best were the teams that could create their own energy. But the teams where you had like the random random people on the bench doing the like stomp, stomp, clap defense chant, you know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, yeah. And, and so the, the, the teams that, that, that could create that own energy that didn't have to rely on the crowds to be able to motivate them and get them going and, and, and to play – um, like with passion, like how, whatever kind of cliche that you want to throw out there, the teams that were able to do that were the teams that always had the most success in those settings. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's very, like, it's very translatable to what we're watching in college basketball this year because 
the teams that have been able to provide that energy where you hear their benches yelling, where you hear after every bucket, it's the, yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, like, facts, we, facts, facts, facts. I'm like, we're laughing at it, and it's, it's a joke, and it's funny. But like, but it's real I, life, really, it is. I really do think that that matters. And, uh, yeah, so, I, I, like, you could see that from Michigan tonight. Yeah. And, and and I don't want to say the, that that never happens with Wisconsin, but it wouldn't happen in Wisconsin, like, halfway through tonight's game. You know, so I, I, I do think we have to give some credit for um, to to Michigan for all of that because I mean, man, I don't know what else you can say. Like, so let me ask you this, Deshaun, where where do you rank them now? Like, where do you where do you put Michigan kind of in the pantheon of of the best teams in the country? Are they in the same tier as Gonzaga and Baylor to you? Are they a step below? Like, is there someone else that's on par with them? What do you think? Um, honestly, I would say they're a step below Gonzaga because. I mean, granted, they Michigan came out here and the speeds of the last two, what, three games so far have like just played and dominated against ranked teams, I would say. Like I can't say that they're bad. They they look very good. And especially tonight was a great they, they played like they won the game in great fashion. Gonzaga has I, I feel like they've played a they've already almost played everybody except for Baylor. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I look at the way Michigan started their season, and, and obviously you can't knock it. I mean, they started the season where they started it, and they're still they're still going along, they're still trucking along, and they're still winning games, and, and they're winning obviously in great fashion, like they did tonight. But like I feel like Gonzaga has like answered a lot of calls already. The only call they haven't haven't answered was Baylor yet, right now. They've mm-hmm. answered mostly every call they got from a ranked team, and then now they're in their their conference, and they're blowing through people right now. <laughs> And now we get to watch Michigan and we get to watch Baylor play through the competition and they're playing well, but it we'll never know what they'll like in comparison to one another until they meet up because I, I, I the, the scale is different now. Like, you know, mm-hmm. I feel like Gonzaga's already played their hard part of the season, not to knock their conference. Their conference is not bad, but it's not the big 12 and it's not the big 10. So it's, yeah, and it's also be, it's also a little down compared to what it usually used is. to be. Exactly, That's and, you know, like St. Mary's, St. Mary's is in one of those years where they're kind of like retooling a little bit, yeah. and you know, same thing with BYU. BYU lost uh, Yoli Childs and T.J. Hawes and yeah. um, the other shooter, uh, Blake. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Doesn't matter for this conversation. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's they're going to kind of roll through everything that they see in the WCC. Um, so. It's going to be tough to gauge them moving forward. And, of course, we're going to hear all the same talking points when it comes to, oh, Baylor, or, oh, Gonzaga doesn't play anybody in league play, blah, 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 whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of how I would rank them, I think that Gonzaga is in a, a tier of their own. You know, I, as much as I love this Baylor team and as much as the metrics love them, um, I, I just think that you look up and down that, that Gonzaga roster and they have uh, the number one, a potential number one pick in the country in Jalen Suggs who's probably not, not going to be the player of the year uh, on this team. That's probably yeah. going to end up being Corey Kisper, who could be like a top 10 pick in, in his own right. Drew Timmy's going to end up playing in the NBA and is the perfect five man for what they wanted to. Uh, they have a guy that was a former five-star that's in his third season that started for two years in the SEC, coming off the bench in Andrew Nemhard. Joel Yayi is going to end up playing in the NBA or a very high level overseas and be on the French national team at some point. And he is their fourth or fifth leading scorer, got a triple-double earlier this year. And Anton Watson is just kind of like the perfect fit for a glue guy at the four. Same thing with some of their guards and their grad transfers off the bench. Like, I think when it's all said and done, I, I, I do believe that Gonzaga is going to end up going undefeated. 
And I do think when it's all said and done, we are going to have the conversation of whether or not they are uh, as good or better than like 2018 Villanova, 2012 Kentucky, like teams of that. I, I think that they're going to end up being in that conversation. Question. Um, yeah. yeah. Do you think there will be a dip off because of the teams they're playing in their conference? Like I'm, you, I'm I know, worried I know about you heard the, the steel sharp and steel conversation and everything like that with Baylor and Michigan and any other team that is uh, in these, you know, power five conferences, like they're going to be playing against each other, you know, obviously every two days, so on and so forth. And then we're going to get to the end of the season. They're going to have the conference tournament. They're going to be playing against each other. And then all of a sudden now we get to the tournament and Gonzaga has played uh, a different schedule for the last 10 games. Now, obviously we've watched Gonzaga go into the tournament and it didn't matter in either way. They, they wake up. And yep. <laughs> you know what I mean? They they wake up and play. But do you think that this year could be an issue being as how the year is going? That it's they not, can't they won't be able to wake up against these teams that are playing against competition. We got like you to see teams that we're we're watching Wisconsin go like take a small tank for a second with this game, but then sooner or later towards the end of the season, they'll pick it back up. Like that's yep. Wisconsin will pick it back up. So they'll they'll take their little small dip. And then we used to have that conversation when I was in college. It was like, I'd rather play really well during the year. I mean, all year, of course. But if we we're going to play well during the year and then have like the end of January, early February to have our like mishaps, as long as we pick it up by the time we get toward the end of February and March, we're all good. Like I have no problems. Yeah. It's because it's one of those things where like when you're in league play, Eventually, someone's going to kind of figure out what you do. They're going to get it exactly. on tape. It's going to work against one team. Then the next two or three teams you play are going to start doing that same thing against you. Then you have to make that adjustment and figure out how you can make a counter to what they're doing. And you kind of go through those like those waves throughout a season. Uh, it's, I don't think it's going to be like that for Gonzaga. The biggest thing that I'm worried about in that conference is that since they're uh, so much more talented than anyone, just developing bad habits, um, not being as crisp, uh, running the ball screens, not – um, you know, making sure that you're you're cutting as hard or um, coming off the screens as hard or kind of getting out of, uh, you know, defensively, like not making the rotations that you're supposed to make and being there on yeah. time because you're athletic enough to be able to make um, – to be – like to make up for the mistakes that you made. So, that, I mean, that's my biggest thing. Um, and then – so for Baylor, I mean, Baylor's right there. Um, I, I think they're a little bit below just because I don't think they have the same kind of elite high-level talent that Gonzaga does. Um, offensively, like when they make when they are making threes, they're really really dangerous. Um, but like Jared Butler, Macy O.T., Davion Mitchell is is not nearly as good as Gonzaga's backcourt. Um, I love everyday John Jonathan Chamuchachwa, uh, and he's not quite as good as Drew Timmy. Um, the only thing I will say is this: like Mark Vital is kind of the perfect piece for them for the style they want to play because they can switch everything, and Mark Vital can guard literally anybody on the planet at this point. Um, so. I I think I, Baylor's really good. I think they're a couple below. And then for me, it's it's kind of Michigan is in that same level as like Villanova. We haven't really seen Villanova play, so I'm going to be a little bit worried about what happens when they, like, with the rust when they come back. But just on paper, like Villanova's still very, very good. So I think Michigan yeah. is right there with like Villanova. And I still think like Tennessee belongs in that conversation because then, then you start getting into like, okay, we got to start talking about like this, that, and the third. Texas. I think has to be right there as well. Yeah, um, man. There's like a lot but, of teams there. There's a lot of teams there. So yeah, but I mean, Michigan is very, very good. And the thing that's that's very 
uh, comforting to me about like hyping them and, and buying into them is that they have the players that can allow them to match up with these teams that go small. Like Isaiah mm-hmm. Livers can guard two through four. Franz mm-hmm. Wagner might be the most underrated defender in the country. Like he he is so good. He, one, he's a playmaker. Like he can block shots mm-hmm. and he can steals. He's so good positionally. He just kind of this was another thing that, that Ant and Stu were saying on the stream, which I totally agree with, and, and I'm, I'm curious your take. Uh, he played for, like, high-level European clubs in, in Germany when he was younger. Yeah. So when he was, like, 15, 16, 17, to be able to go and, and kind of, like, play and practice with the first team, he didn't – he wasn't, like, physically ready. He wasn't going to go out there and dominate. He wasn't going to dominate yeah. touches. But he kind of had to figure out, like, the little things that you need to be able to do to succeed. So now that, like, his talent is catching up and he's kind of on par with everybody that he's playing against, he still yeah. does all those little things. But he just so happens to be a guy that's foot ten, can run a ball screen, can pass off the bounce, can make a three. Like, he's he's a stud, dude. I think he's, like, yeah. I think he's legit, like, a top 20-ish kind of pick in the NBA draft. No, he definitely has a great chance to be that. I mean, being able to space the floor. Like, I'm talking about his skill, what I see him see him doing with these guys. Being able to space the floor and take advantage. Uh, by of the way, real numbers. quick, hey, Sean, uh, I just gotta let everyone know this is this is the craft beer cast. So if you have your uh, your nightcap right now, <laughs> drop a comment right now. And let us know what you're sipping on. <laughs> go go ahead. I cut you off. No, no worries. But like, he's a mismatch problem. Like, Actually, hold on. I'm gonna cut you off one more time, Deshaun. Show, it's free. You show you showed the beer. Yeah, but that's not the only thing you're drinking. Show them both. First of all, <laughs> oh my gosh. So my guy told me to bring a drink, so I brought some wine, and then he was like, no, where's your beer? And then my wife had to go downstairs and grab some more beer. Listen, we we do a lot of alcohol in the family. It's, it's not yeah. much to hey, do right hey, now. Look, you're telling in me, the pandemic. Baby. You're telling me. You're telling me. My two empties are over there right now. <laughs> so like, all you can do is read and uh, work and drink beer. So. And, and watch ball. And, and watch ball. ball. And watch ball. I'm sorry. I, I cut you off. Go ahead. Go ahead. Make your point. No, nah, but uh, he's a mismatch problem. 6'10", shoot the ball. I can't attack off the bounce. So it it helps him in that fashion anyway. It didn't matter if he played overseas or not. If you can do that in college, you, it makes it a, extremely easier for you to go out there and play the game. Now, to your point, when you're over there playing and these guys are like 15, 16 years old playing on the first team, that and practicing on the first team, yes, like that helps tremendously, man. Like these guys, you have to learn how to not be the strongest guy on the floor. You have to learn how to be like how to basically how to uh, to contribute without being the best guy on the floor, the strongest guy on the floor, the fastest, whatever the case may be, like skill-wise, all of, all of the above, and still find a way to leave your mark in the game and help the team. So this kid, this kid grew, grew up in Germany, which is like half-court basketball capital of the world. Like he – like Germany is – 100 possessions of basketball and you got these big dudes that have probably been muscling him since he was a kid. He he's he's in Michigan now getting stronger. He's been one of the best big men basketball players and as his coach to have ever played the game in Jawan Howard. Like he's very fortunate. The man's probably learning every day and you you can see what he's doing on the floor right now. Yeah, I, I love the job that that Jawan Howard is doing. And before we get I got to just I just got to Quick shout out to Joe M, who dropped in and said he's uh, drinking a Miller High Life. I want to. I want to tell a quick story about Miller High Life. Know you know, so the reason why it's called Miller High Life is because back in, in World War II, when all of the men were, uh, were were sent overseas to fight in the war, um, Miller Brewing Company like they couldn't sell any more beer, so they, they had to try to find a way to sell beer. They were getting crushed in their beer beer sales, so they're like, "All right, we're going to make Miller High Life." 
and call it the champagne of beers and try to market it to women in the 1940s. And so that's why it's called Miller High Life, the champagne of beers, which is probably my favorite thing and my favorite, like, worthless piece of knowledge about beer. Shout uh, out to Joe. Shout out to shout Joe. Out, <laughs> shout, out to, shout out to Joe M with the High Life, man. I love it. I absolutely love it. All right. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. The last point I just wanted to make was, you know, there were a lot of questions about whether – Michigan was making the right decision hiring Jawan Howard because he was an alum. You know, Ed Cooley wanted the job. Uh, Cooley had a lot of supporters, especially in the media, some in the fan base. Um, And I think unequivocally we can say that, like, Jawan Howard was the right hire. You know, my biggest concern, and and I made this point. I went on a Michigan radio station the other day, and I made this point that I was never concerned about the coaching part with him. You know, he spent six years – uh, in Miami, whether it was like on the bench or yeah. um, as a bench player, just whatever it was, just like soaking up all of the information that Eric Spalestra has in his brain, right? Pat Riley, you know, Pat Riley, Lonzo, yeah, Lonzo Morning, like the staff, like, <laughs> it's like and, yeah, and Bob it, there. I mean, you you know all about it, man. You were you were you were you were in that organization. Um, but did you ever cross paths? Were you in there at the same time as him? Yeah. Joan so, was like a so great you know, dude, man. Yeah, he's you a know. great guy, man. He's very smart and very he was very helpful. So like I could tell like he seems when I was talking when I was there and he was there with me, his, he was definitely one of the guys that was like into the mentoring part of it. And I feel like that's probably the vibe he gives with his players as his coaching. Like he's coaching, but he's also coming from a player standpoint and he's mentoring these guys and like letting them know, like, you know. If you do it, this, this is why you can't do it this way. This is why I learned this. And this is what, like, it's easier when you have coaches that have played, not 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 a knock against coaches that haven't, but the guys that have played and they can relate to these players a little bit differently. It's just, it's just a, a different way of uh, explaining things. Yeah, you know, Duncan Robinson made that, that same point the other day that, um, that, like, he was so good at, you know, Duncan came in as, like, a undrafted G League whatever, right? And Jawan Howard paid attention to him like he was Dwayne Wade or he was yeah. M. Adebayo or he was someone that, like, they had to to pay attention to and they had to develop. And, and it sounds like you kind of had that same experience with him. Yeah. Um, and it's just – it's I, I like seeing him succeed because it, it seems like the University of Michigan really means a lot to him. Um, and I enjoy seeing these guys – come back and thrive at their schools. And like I said, I never, ever had a doubt about his coaching ability. There were questions about, okay, can he do all of the little things that it takes to run a college basketball program? Like the day-to-day nonsense. Yeah. When when you're a head coach in the Big Ten, like you're a CEO more than you are just a basketball coach. Basketball coach, CEO, babysitter. You're doing everything. (laughs) It's like, remember what I talked about this today, man. It's just like, it's, it's an insane job, like. So it's tough yeah. to do. Yeah, I mean, you come back from – you go from the NBA back to college, and, like, all of a sudden you have to track down 18-year-olds and make sure they're going to, like, uh, to Algebra 101 or whatever whatever I'm class you're taking. So like, <laughs> yeah, so it's like – it's very, very different. And that was what I was worried. I wasn't worried about the coaching part. Like, And the other part is, like, so he, he made, like, what, like $100 million in his career? Like, is he going to want to sit there and be texting with 17-year-old high school seniors all day? Is he going to want to sit there and get on Zoom calls and call high school juniors to be able to put in the effort that you need to be able to recruit at that level? And to his credit, like he like he has, I don't I don't think we can really question. Like he he went and pulled Hunter Mickelson out of the DMV, 
out of Washington D.C. out of Damascus. So he's he's dedicated, know. man. He's dedicated. I like that. So I like that. Great, one. great for him. Awesome to see him succeed. All right, let's get into a couple things in the ACC before we can get out of here. Duke lost at Virginia Tech. They got down big. Um, they came back. They almost won, but they ended up losing to Virginia Tech. Uh, North Carolina knocked off um, Syracuse. Uh, that was an ugly basketball game. I mean, I think that they're both NIT teams. We really don't have to talk about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the, the, <laughs> last, the last one was uh, Kansas got down by 16 points in the second Big half. Big game. I love that to game. O- to o- All right, let's talk about that. So they got down by 16 to Oklahoma State, uh, came all the way back, took a three-point lead, then Cade Cunningham started doing Cade Cunningham things. So talk to me about uh, everything you got to say about that performance. Um, you know how good of a team Oklahoma State is when they get a lead in the first half, at least. Um, they they played really well in the first half. The zone really threw Kansas off. And I look, I thought about like when uh, I know everybody's going to probably sit there and go, oh, here he goes. I thought about the game when West Virginia decided to go randomly go zone against Kansas. And mm-hmm. West Virginia went zone against Kansas as opposed to Oklahoma State's zone against Kansas, where they made Kansas kind of stand around. Where in West Virginia, the guys didn't really get to the shooters as well. And Kansas started making jump shots. And then once they make jump shots, then they were able to go around and then find other people for jump shots. And it just led to a bunch of other things. They weren't as aggressive as Oklahoma State was in their zone where they made these athletes kind of like who are good scorers and good shooters. They kind of made them stand and try to find and make a decision instead of like just playing. I, I, I didn't even notice at the time. I was like, yo, why they didn't get many free throws up. Yeah. Well, you're not going to get many free throws. You're not going to get many free throw attempts when the team's going zone and you're trying to figure out a mm-hmm. tactical way to like beat the zone as opposed to if it's one-on-one man to man, you can, you're attacking to make a play. So just the zone really threw Kansas for a loop. And then Kansas went on like a twenty to a twenty-one to like two run in the second half, and they came back. David McCormack was like the big reason. I was texting you during the game. I was like, David McCormack is like the only reason Kansas even stayed in the game. And then finally in the second half, you know, uh, Marcus Garrett and and the rest of the guys started to like step in a little bit and help out. Uh, Abaji made some big jump shots. I think he was like four for whatever from three, um, but. At the end of the game, when I thought Oklahoma State was going to, like, lay it down, Kay Cunningham, Bryce Williams, Isaac Likely made great plays toward the end of the game. The block Cade had on the yes, uh, yes, that was yes. going out of bounds to the save for the layup, that was important. That was, like, a very big play. Bryce Bryce Williams got it, then passed it to, uh, to I want to say, ah, I forget the freshman's name, freshman guard, uh, one of the bones. It was something bone. Yeah, no, no. I think it might be the other one. The other one. Either way, he got the layup and one, made the basket. Tough finish. But the play I thought kind of gave them some life was a minute left where Isaac Lockley kind of like put up the, the three with a minute left that they uh, – I, I want to say it was like uh, between the top of the key and the right uh, the right wing. He hit, ended up hitting the three, which basically I think it kind of put them – tied the game because they were like – Kansas had took the lead. And it kind of gave him some light, so some life. I mean, so it was. He, good he didn't want to. He didn't want to shoot it either. Exactly. Like, he did not want to shoot the ball, man. Because Dave McCormick came out to him, and he threw a pump fake, and like, and McCormick yeah, just like yeah, yeah. it off. Him. He was like, "Yeah, go ahead, shoot, shoot." We not- that's the shot we want. And likely, like, hesitated and stood there, raised up and knocked it down. So good for him. But like, he he yeah. did not want to shoot that. 
No, I didn't want to shoot the ball. And he had a couple instances where he didn't want to shoot the ball. And he, he didn't shoot the ball great tonight, too. So you, you know how that works when you're not going – you're not shooting the ball as well. You want to, you're kind of hesitant in a scenario. But knocking that shot down definitely gave them some energy. And you want that from your, well, your upperclassmen on the team. Like, this is the guy that was like the lead like, – was he like the leading scorer for them last year? Or at least the returning guy that played tons of minutes last year. Like, they, the coach is depending on him to be like a leader on the team as well as Cade. And to knock that shot down, then those guys play defend. They could have easily like wilted. The West Virginia game, they kind of like uh, they put the head down a little bit as the lead was starting to go away from them, and they lost lock. They lost their lock in. They, they stopped their focus, and everything was gone. They were all over the place. The West Virginia game, and they ended up losing that game after having that big lead. This game, they lost the lead, but they didn't lose their focus, and they stayed together. And you kind of you saw that at the end of the game, and that the block. To pass to to William to Bryce Williams to for the finish of the N one, it was just like it was great basketball. It was the play of the game. <laughs> yeah, and I'm I'm glad Oklahoma State got that win. You know, I fast, I, fast, I, fast. I like Mike Boynton. Um, I think that the situation that he was put in at Oklahoma State was one uh, where they weren't necessarily um, looking for him to succeed. If that makes sense, you know, when you are the guy that they kind of settle on you. Uh, because you were already on the staff and they're going to underpay him, which is what they did when they signed him um, at first. Uh, I don't think that it is a coincidence that it is a young African-American assistant coach that comes in and is getting underpaid and, and is put in a situation where he can't win. Um, I think you see that a lot because it makes it very easy for you to say, oh, we tried it with the black guy. Now we got to go back to hire another white coach. So it's, it's not – I want to see him succeed. I want to see him be in that situation and succeed. The last game that they played was against West Virginia, um, and they blew a big lead at home. That was a tough one for them. That was a tough one for them. And they blew another big lead at home tonight, and uh, they came back and they won the game. They scored the last eight points after blowing a – what was it? It was a 21-2 run, right? 21-2 run, bro. They should have lost that game. Talk to me me about this. Talk to me about this. What do you think – like one of my guys was talking to me during the game about this. So shout out to my guy, Joel Pinto. He uh was saying he was talking about the the junk defense. We're talking they they because uh, Kansas ended up running a triangle and two, keeping the ball out of Bryce Williams' hands and out of trying to keep the ball out of Cade uh, Cunningham's hands. And it was it literally kind of stopped it stopped Oklahoma State from their momentum. Like Oklahoma State was great in transitional offense, um, and it kind of it kind of led to Kansas even like getting basically getting the lead. Like, what do you think about teams using? Because it's all like, – some people think 2-3 and 1-3-1 one, one is just, like, its own thing. And then some people think it's all junk defense if it's not man-to-man. I so, mean, like, what do, you, what do you – what do you do you think that more teams should should be able to – like, not should because, obviously, you want these guys to play one-on-one. But do you, what do you think about, like, Kansas being able to just throw that in out of nowhere? Because I've never seen Kansas do that this season at all. <laughs> like the, I don't think I don't know if they've done it this season, but like Bill Self loves pulling out like the box of one or the triangle to whenever his team is struggling and just trying to because you know why you hate playing against it, yeah, right? It stops you. It holds everything you're doing. <laughs> I mean, players hate playing against these junk defenses, which is and that's why you run them because it's just if you if you run it for the whole game. Every good coach is going to be able to d- design something or scheme something or, or, or make it so, like, okay, that you're not going to, like, you can't, that's not going to work permanently. But if you just throw it in there with like eight minutes left after a team has just spent 30 minutes, like, kicking your ass, doing one thing and playing one way, like, it's the perfect way to change stuff because, like, 
you hate playing against it, and it's so weird to play against because there's no like, like what do you do? Do you run zone offense? It's not really going to work because you have two guys guarding man. Do you run man offense? Well, maybe that's not going to work if you have three guys on the floor that aren't able to make shots. So, the, the, to me, that's why it's something that that every coach should have in their playbook. And the the, the very reason why is because everybody hates playing against it. So if you hate playing against something like. You should run that with your own team, right? Like it's just seems facts, facts. It's good. It's good now, to have. Yeah. Now I hate watching it. I, I, <laughs> so, I was waiting to see. I was waiting to see what you were saying. That whole part. Yeah. Like I, I hate. I hate when. Um, I, oh well, Joel just hopped in the. Uh, in yeah, the chat. That's, my, that's my guy, <laughs> Coach P. That's my man. Um, yeah. So. I, I, I don't love when teams run it. I don't love when teams play a ton of zone. Like I, I want to see these guys go one-on-one. That's what I, I, I enjoy watching. Um, but I also like, I get it, man. Like you got to have that in your arsenal, right? You got to be able to take the other team out of what they want to do uh, and put them in uncomfortable situations, even if it's just for like five or six minutes at a time. So that's just kind of uh, where I settle on. You got anything to say about Duke or anything to say about North Carolina before we get out of here? Uh, what I would say about Duke was it was good to see. It's good to see Duke almost finding their, uh, their identity of what they can do. Um, I kind of felt like Duke would have won the game if they shot the ball better. Like, I felt like they did almost like, and if they had some bench help, they had no bench. I think they had six points from their bench. You can't win games unless, like, everybody in the starting lineup had double digits. You can't win games when your bench gives you six and your starting point guard is 0 for 5 from the field. I I personally, like, as a fan of, like, watching Goldwire, (laughs) I thought he should have played better tonight. He didn't play as – yeah, I mean, he didn't play at all, good at all, personally. He, he's not really a threat. Like, defensively. Offensively. Defensively, no. Defensively, he, this is what you expect from him. But offensively, like, I thought that they, they had 3-0. They, got, they had a great 3-0 start to the conference. And I'm thinking, all right, cool. Like, you know the things you need to work on. And not, it doesn't work that way. Like, not like a snap of the finger. I'm a better shooter. It takes time, but – we gotta we gotta get some type of contribution in from the uh, from the guards to to win games and the other two guys what Roach and Hurt put up twenty and you got fourteen from Stewart like but the the bench and your starting guard got to give you a little bit more. Um yeah I, I'm I'm with you on that um the there's there's a couple things uh, that I think are um, are important to mention with this Duke team the first and foremost is that. Jalen Johnson did not do anything. No. Um, he's coming off. It's the second other Jalen didn't do anything today either. Yeah. So he <laughs> came off the bench. Um, he played four minutes. He was injured. Yeah. Uh, he, um, so he, like, not having him in the mix. Now, and this isn't a criticism. I'm not taking a shot at him. Like, it should tell you what Duke's ceiling still can be because they're not getting the best out of the guy that everyone was like, oh, yeah, he could be a top 10 pick. Um, so they still have that guy that just trying to bring along, trying to to get into the mix and get healthy and get back up to uh, yeah. what he can be overall. The other part of it is like Wendell Moore just is not – he hasn't figured it out yet, man. So yeah, I, I, I think that's the biggest issue. I feel like J- Jalen's going to get – like he's already had a, like maybe a game or two where he's played well, but like obviously he's consistently he's not. Wendell hasn't had one or two games he's strung together yet where it was just like, all right, cool, this is why you guys picked him up. So it's, it's tough. Like, I mean, 
I feel for the guys because I know like, it's a lot. It's a lot of pressure. You're going to like basically one of the best basketball schools ever, and you're top top recruit. It's you still gotta gotta put that work in and, and show up during these games. Like they 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 definitely needed him today. <laughs> they did. Um, so I, I still think that there is room for this Duke team to grow, and, and kind of the same thing as what we've been saying about uh, Kentucky is it, it, you know it's. It takes time, and, and right now, like where they are in terms of um, getting used to playing with each other, is probably what they normally are in like uh, early December, right? And we always are asking, like, ah, oh, what's Duke going to be? What's Kentucky going to be? So I still think there's room for them to develop. Yeah, and they're, starting, they're, get, they're getting there though. I feel like they start, they're starting to get to their identity. Yeah. Like it's, it's coming. That, right? It takes yeah. time. Like and said. that brings me to my next point: is that Virginia Tech's really good. I guess yeah. that's a good, well-coached basketball team. Kevin Aluma is a player in the middle. They can make threes. Uh, they, they they can go like that's just that's just a good, well-coached basketball team. And, yeah. and I, there are things that Duke could have done better, but I don't think that there's any shame in losing a, a, a close game on the road to Virginia Tech. I, I don't like Virginia yeah. Tech is like a top, probably a top three team in the ACC. Now that does that say something yeah. about how good the ACC is this year? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> there's there's nothing wrong with like losing to uh, this Virginia Tech team on the road. So yeah, it's a good team. It's a good team. All right, Deshaun. Um, I think that's about it. This was fun, man. I'm enjoying the uh, craft so, beer cast, The new one. Yeah, yeah. Now I got two Dinner more to beer. finish. My wife there brought up go. a bunch. She brought a bunch All up for me. <laughs> so be be Should be a good night for me, yeah. (laughs) All right, man. It was a pleasure. Thank you for everyone that uh, that hung out and listened. Thank you for everybody joining us in the chat. Uh, We will be back again most likely on Sunday night for the Monday Overreactions podcast. But if something big happens, man, we might jump back on the stream. Got to get this Field of 68 postgame show going somehow. Deshaun, I'll talk to you, man, later. Yes, sir.